in our DNA, we're going to gravitate towards one of three ways to solidify your purchasing decision. So you're either going to be a visual buyer, an audio buyer, or a kinesthetic buyer. Welcome to The Branding Lab, a workshop-style podcast focused on providing actionable advice on how to build a remarkable brand. When host Yvonne Ivanescu decided to launch her own swimwear brand, she didn't know where to start. So she went straight to the experts. And the result? In-depth conversations with entrepreneurs, founders, marketing and brand experts who have created and designed the brands we love and interact with every single day. And now she's here to share these conversations with you. Are you ready to build your brand? Then you're in the right place. All right, let's dive into this episode with your host, Yvonne. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Branding Lab podcast. Now, today we have Shanna, and Shanna is a brand strategist and owner of a brand agency called Enticity. Uh, She helps companies navigate the confusing rebrand process uh, by guiding them step-by-step via one-on-one consultations or her online course. Shanna and her team focus on repositioning companies to attract their ideal audience by articulating brand strategies fresh messaging and brand language, along with a visual redesign, all working together to attract and retain the right people. Shanna believes the difference between running your business and growing your business lies in brand strategy. And today we're going to be talking about a lot of things. We're going to be really focusing on how individuals can create their customer avatar. Hello, Shanna. Hello, Yvonne. Thank you so much uh, for having me on your podcast and that amazing introduction. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I'm really excited about this one. I so too. I know I know that you recently launched a course called mm-hmm. Define Before Design. That's right. And I love that name. So I really wanted to start with the reasoning behind the name of your course. Absolutely. Um, Define Before Design, I think, was born from frustrations as, you know, being a graphic designer for years and um, catering to uh, startups and and companies coming to us for a rebrand and wanting that visual change. And, you know, as a graphic designer, excuse me, as a graphic designer, we were trained to keep people happy visually, um, go through lots of logo changes. If they want to see something a different color, we change the color. Um, if they want it bolder, we would just, you know, make it bolder. And we were trained to uh, cater to the uh, changes and asks of the client. And um, we did that for so long, but, you know, you could get as a graphic designer, you can easily get up to proof 10, proof 11, proof 12, <laughs> and the customer is never satisfied and emotionally connected to their visual brand identity. And, um, you know, we did this for so long that we decided to rebrand ourselves. And by rebranding ourselves, we discovered the branding process is complicated and confusing, and everybody has a different opinion on what steps to take and in what order. And um, there's a lot of brand lingo. So it took a year to put ourselves through the rebrand. And out of that came steps in in order that made sense to me. Um, And then realizing that this is exactly the reason why all of our clients in the past have 
struggled to emotionally connect to their visual brand identity. It's why we reached, you know, proof 12 when creating a logo because there was no emotion and there was no brand foundation that was articulated first. And if you took the time to define your brand before we designed it, uh, it would come together a lot quicker. And then realizing that we had spent so much time and energy creating <clears throat> creating visual brand identities for uh, companies who have since gone out of business. Or, you know, we call them up and we say, hi, you know, it's been a year. How are you doing? We haven't heard from you. They say things like, oh, we're so busy. Things are great. Um, but we can't afford that website yet. Or we can't afford to do those things that we said we wanted to do. And I kept thinking, if you're so busy, why can't you afford these things? And it wasn't until after the brand strategy process that I realized, well, then you're you know, positioning yourself wrong or you, that's a brand strategy problem. So it really... Um, had us looking at all of our clients differently. It had it looking. It had us looking at ourselves differently. And uh, now I'm on a mission to help, you know, business owners and marketing directors take the time to define, you know, their brand before they go to design their brand. And it's just game changing. I love it. Yeah, I know one of the things that you have said to me because we've chatted a little bit before is that there is a difference between a brand and a commodity. Now, can you tell us what that difference is? Yeah, that actually, are you a brand or commodity? Is the 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 starting point of uh, our rebrand, and it was the moment that my husband and I, you know, we own. Anticity together. Uh, we're both graphic designers by trade. So everything I've been through has been with him. And we were trying to improve our business. So we went and, and did some consulting. Um, and the consultant just, you know, in the middle of a sentence used the word commodity. And it was like I felt uh, the light switch turn on and I heard angels like, oh. And I, <laughs> I kicked my, my, you know, not hard, obviously, but I like <laughs> nudged him. And I think he had the same emotional reaction. And so that evening I was like, okay, did you catch what he said? And he's like, yeah, I think that might be our problem. And so we dove into Google, like everyone does. And we started searching, um, you know, what does it mean to be a commodity? And um, it, you know, it turns out that that was our problem is that our customers were seeing us as a commodity and not as a brand. And so that is the very first question I ask all of our clients now is, are you being perceived as a brand or a commodity? And they won't know the answer quite often, which is exactly where we were. Um, so that's where it starts is asking that question. And um, I'll explain to you, you know, the difference between the two, because not Yes, many people know. So I guess, you know, when you're a commodity, you're, there's no differentiating factor between you and the competition. And the only thing that the customer can make a decision on when faced with the two, you know, let's just say you have two options. Mm -hmm. um, from the external point of view, if you look exactly the same, it, they have no choice but to to go with you based on price, convenience, or customer service. And those three pillars are important in business. But if 
that's the reason why you're being chosen, then you're you're going to lose your competitive advantage as soon as somebody can offer what you offer for a better price or more convenience. And let's face it, customer service is not a competitive advantage. It's an expectation and you can't survive in business if you don't have great customer service. As a graphic designer trying to get to know my clients over the years, when I ask, you know, why do people come to you? The majority of the answers were our customer service, our team, our our reps, our staff. We're amazing. We're so happy. People love us. And they also would say we have competitive pricing. So recognizing that those three things were actually the core foundation of many of the companies we designed for in the past made me realize that you know, setting your business up as a commodity and competing on price, customer service, and convenience is a major issue because you can only succeed until you outgrow yourself. So, I mean, like think of a startup who has a little bit of funds at the beginning. You come into the market, you've got the new flashy look, you're the most trending, you've got the new website, you've got all the the fresh, new, everything, but then you had to compete with this customer or this competitor. So you had to lower your prices. And five years later, everything's outdated. You need to refresh your look. You need a new website, but you don't have the money to fund anything because you've been competing on price for the last five years. And that is exactly what happened to all of our clients when I'd call them up and say, you know, are you ready to look at this now? We're so busy, but we don't have the money. Um, so when you're when you're competing as a commodity, you're not connecting to anyone emotionally. And the flip side is if you're branding, which I have to say is an act. It's like advertising or marketing. You're branding. So I don't think a lot of people get that. They think, I have my design. I have my logo. I have a brand. So you do have a brand, but are you branding? And when you're branding, you are um, purposely and intentionally making your customers feel something. And you're uh, trying to nurture that emotional connection so that when people come to you, they're willing to pay a little bit more money. They're willing to drive a little bit further or wait in line a little bit longer. And of course, again, customer service is going to be there. Um, you can't succeed without great customer service. But yeah, you're, if you're a commodity, you're struggling, probably have a lot of brand issues. And if you're branding, you're just uh, creating that emotional connection with your customers and you're really helping them uh, fall in love with your product or your service. And yeah, I mean, that's really the first question is, are you a brand or commodity? And then from there, if they decide, yes, I'm a brand, I want to be branding, then that's where there's a lot of work to do. I just have to say like, amen. <laughs> what you just said is like, amen. Because I feel like a lot of people don't get this. And when I think of what you said to me, I, I in branding, there's always the example of like Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. Because Starbucks is coffee. I mean, you can go to your local coffee shop and you can get an 80 cents here in Portugal. You can get coffee for like 50 cents. Yeah. Or you can go and pay at Starbucks a 
cup of coffee for three, four euros. It's still the same cup of coffee. But what the difference here is how they branded themselves and the, the emotional connection and that feeling and that experience that you get at Starbucks, right? Exactly. Exactly. And um, when you look at the foundation of Starbucks, they wanted to create a third place. So they they knew that you have your home and you have your work, but what's your third place that you can claim as your own, that you can go and you can enjoy your time? And um, when they started selling a third place and they removed themselves from selling coffee or, you know, desserts, the things that are more commodity-based, they were able to make a lot more, you know, business decisions uh, that were emotionally based. So let's give everyone chargers. Let's let them sit for as long as they want. We're not in a rush to get out. Um, let's put their names on their cup because they should feel at home here. Uh, let's give them their product before we take their money. If they're a friend of ours, why would we take their money first? And we have to treat them like they're a friend of ours because this is their third place. This is like their, you know, where they spend a lot of time. And if we just treat everybody like they belong here, then they will start to feel like they belong here. And that's exactly what their brand strategy was. And that's why people will drive and wait in line and pay more. And so the people that haven't had a positive experience there and they haven't, um, enjoyed feeling belonging there they don't understand why anyone would spend that much money for the coffee (laughs) you know um, they go to a meeting and they're like oh i hate starbucks because the coffee they're they're saying i don't like the flavor of this coffee um and that's really not what they're selling at all and yeah, that yeah, that's the difference between right now. The, the heartache that I have is if the company that's selling the fifty cent coffee is buying the best coffee and they're putting money out and they're selling it for sixty cents and then they're selling it for fifty five cents and now they're selling it for fifty cents and they don't understand why people aren't buying. Because they have amazing coffee for 50 cents, but they're so focused on the product. They're so focused on the coffee that they don't realize that's not what people are buying. When they leave their house and grab a coffee, they're not buying coffee. They're buying, enhancing the experience they're about to do. So if they're going for a drive, having a coffee is going to enhance that drive. Or if they're going to go shopping, having that coffee in their hand is going to enhance. So... Yes, I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule and there's some people that just need caffeine. They're going to yeah. grab a 50 cent coffee because they're just they just need the jolt. But in most cases when you're branding, you're attaching your product or service to that emotional um that emotional benefit that people are buying your product or service for. It gets exactly. quite complicated and I, yeah. you know, <laughs> you get talking about it and it's like where do you begin? It's a really huge topic and it's a long process. And I think just knowing that it's a process and just knowing that you have a choice to operate as a brand versus a commodity, just knowing that is your starting point. And that's amazing. And hopefully you hear the angels go, oh, and you're, <laughs> you know, you're having that moment. Yeah. And that's so great. That's, that's my mission is just to let people know that there's a difference. Now, before we get into talking about like creating your customer avatars, I really also wanted to go into this point of what you said in terms of 
people can start businesses without a brand, but it's not something that's going to last. And I think that's something that a lot of people need to realize is that branding is not something nice to have. It's a foundational pillar that you really need to focus because if you don't put in branding now at the start of your business, eventually you will have to, whether that's like five or six or whatever time, eventually you can't run a successful business without it having, or like 99% of the time, I'm not going to say hundred percent of the time, but you yeah. can't really grow a business if you don't, if it's not a brand, if, if people are seeing it as a commodity. Yeah. I have that conversation a lot and people push it and challenge it. And I think that's great. Uh, textbook wise, there's only room for one. So it's a race to the bottom and uh, a lot of hurt feelings along the way because you fall out of love of what you're doing because you're um, trying to be everything to everyone and you're reducing your integrity or reducing your price or reducing your uh, staff talent, like whatever you're doing to try to compete all the time and eventually just fall out of love. Um, but there is always that person that's, well, I've been in business for this long and I've I've succeeded off of customer service. And I think that's great. And I believe it. The problem, let's, call them, let's call them the exception to the rule, but not the rule. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is it's a new rule. So like we've, when you think about it, Apple iPhones came out in 2007 and there's late adapters to having the internet in the pocket. So this is still, we're still in a decade of having the internet at our fingertips and having apps like Facebook and Instagram and, and now TikTok. And, um, you know, these apps are allowing us to self-express to a whole new level. And what's happening as a huge trend in society is that we are becoming more and more brand buyers. We don't want what everyone else has. We don't want the same that everyone else has. So we are looking to define who we are through every purchasing decision, right down to the coffee that we buy and the reasoning behind why we buy that coffee. And when you have a, a mass amount of people who are trying to identify who they are in a really custom, unique way, then recognizing that your product or service is not just going to serve their need, but it's actually going to define who they are as people now more than ever, then that that's why if you do recognize that you've been operating as a commodity and you have been seeing success, what might end up happening is that your talented staff is going to start thinking, oh, I want to be unique. I want to be custom. I want to be uh, my own person. I want to be, you know, they're going to fall in line with all those trends. They're going to quit their job and start their own business, or they're going to create their own brand that no one else has ever done. There's like this need to be unique and original. So you have to be branding to define people today more than ever, and also internal branding to retain your staff and to make them feel something. Because if they're just showing up and pushing a product, it's not going to satisfy their human needs right now when they go home and they see on Instagram everyone else living their best life. They're going to be craving more. And I think we live in a world where now more than ever, brands are rising to the top and commodities are 
becoming looked over or just a necessity in the last moment. Um, and they may have succeeded, but looking into the future, I don't think their future is that bright if they don't gravitate to branding strategy. The- there's so much that we could <laughs> talk about there I and I, I would want to, but maybe in the future, because I mean, when you talked about your internal brand and your customer or your employees and how they should also be part of that process, I mean, yeah. I feel like that's a conversation all on its own. It really um, is. <laughs> and it's such an important one as well, but I don't want to de- deviate too much from the the, the topic that I, I really want to talk about, which is customer personas. So maybe mm-hmm. next time in the next conversation, we can talk about uh, the internal. The internal well, brand. I know. Well, that's the thing, right? Once you get talking about brand strategy, you realize like all of your pain points are probably connected to, um, to brand strategy. But yeah, like when you, when you realize, okay, am I a brand or am I a commodity? And the, yes, I want to be a brand. So yes, I want to start branding. I want to start emotionally connecting to people. I want to attract talent. I want to attract the right customer. I want to make them feel something. Uh, And then the big question is what and how? And I think that that's really hard because um, as humans, we have like this conversation. We have so many uh, angles and so much to say and so many uh, ways to say things. So it becomes really difficult to narrow it down into a, you know, a one thing that you want to focus on because like having that Starbucks focusing on their third place. So how do you narrow it down to like, if I'm not that product or service, which has hard facts and tangible specifics, then how do I choose something that's just an emotion and it's really challenging for people. Um, And so by creating a focus on your audience and who are you, you know, like let's say your external audience. So who are you going to attract? That is the starting point because once you have narrowed down that persona and that personality that you're targeting, it helps you answer all of your future questions. So it is a good starting point. when you're focusing on your audience, I know in our course, Define Before Design, you when you're defining your audience, it goes deep and uh, you can, you know, talk about their age and, and, you know, how much money do they make? Are they uh, single income, double income? Do they have children? And you start um, really defining a human being and creating this human persona and you can get right down to what kind of music they listen to. And I think it helps when you're when you have a person in mind, and it typically happens every time. So someone will start explaining their best friend, or they'll start explaining themselves. And I often say, go to a book character or a movie character or someone on television that you've connected with emotionally and um like Rory from Gilmore Girls. If I were to say Rory from Gilmore Girls, if you've ever seen that show. Yes, you, definitely. <laughs> you know that now you're like, okay, so they're sweet, soft-spoken. They really like coffee. They speak really fast. They, you know, you start um, taking shape. And I think that 
the most important thing to realize is that you're not just going to attract a whole bunch of Rory's. There's a little bit of Rory in all of us, right? Yeah, definitely. You'll you'll attract that type of person um, within that person. So, but what's going to happen is if you're always speaking to her in your mind, then you're going to have brand consistency. And I think that over the years, people have heard brand consistency and everything has to be consistent. And I, I think most people grasp that, but I think they're focused on the logo color always has to be consistently the same logo color. And they're not realizing that brand consistency is also who you're talking to has to always be the same person or your tone of voice or your sense of humor or your lack of sense of humor, like whatever it is that you choose to define your avatar is going to be your brand voice and your brand language. And that allows you to speak consistently so that it's not confusing. And it's not that you're just going to attract that one person, but you are going to be consistent and that that is brand consistency. So So I have a a quick question. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you have multiple personas? So, and if yes, how many is too many? It's challenging. So um, that's where the brand architecture comes in because if you were to think about, um, you know, a car company, uh, automobile industry, every car has a different persona. But someone that would buy this model isn't going to necessarily buy this model. What you have to do is um, really, when you decide who falls into what category and how many can um, be allowed underneath this brand name, they have to all align with the same attributes. So they have to have the same uh, core values and vision and mission. And if this person still supports our core, core core brand attributes, but maybe they're a bit flashier or maybe they're a bit uh, more uh, organic, like whatever their personality is, but at the root of it, do they still support our brand mission? And that's the question. So if if the answer is yes, then you can allow both personalities inside that targeted, those targeted channels. It gets quite confusing, but you wouldn't want to be unclear about it. So if you're putting an ad out and it's for this product, because this is the customer persona for this product, um, you just have to be very aware of what you're doing and who you're talking to. And and um, I don't know if there is too many. It's just, I guess it becomes too many when you become unclear and not intentional. The you reason I want to funnel them down all into the one email drip and then from that point on, they all get the same email, if that makes sense. The reason I ask this is because I used to work for a hotel company, um, an independent hotel in Brussels. And when I was creating, because I created a couple of personas as well, but we had different types of individuals that would stay at the hotel. And so we would have like the um, like the couple that would come for romantic evening. And then we also had a lot of business people that would come. So I would create, I would create, I think two or three different types of personas. And in that sense, like 
how do you then, I guess you would communicate them differently. But if I had like one social media account and I wanted to create content for the business traveler or for the, the romantic couple, would the messaging be different? Like how, how would you recommend that I would do that? I know if you think about, again, Rory from Gilmore Girls, she definitely has that, those two sides of her as well. And she's still the same person. She still values the same things. She still has the same integrity. And, you know, we are branding humans to humans and connecting on an emotional level. So even though they're there for that business, um, I think like what you're talking about is your messaging will change. And yeah. what your um what your you know traits are, what your benefits are to come and what will attract them and what their mindset is in that moment. So if they're if they're coming for a business decision or you know, business uh experience, then their priorities are gonna be different. But at the end of the day, they're still going to love your humor or your tone of voice or how you speak to them. It's just that you're going to promise different deliverables around, you know, what it is you're selling. I don't necessarily know if that would have to change the personality. It's just it's going to change the messaging. But your brand personality would still be, you know, like I'm a sincere brand. I'm down to earth. I'm warm. We don't use sarcastic tone. We don't... um, we don't have a sense of humor. We don't lead with humor. Uh, we have a very empathetic approach. And you start giving yourself uh, attributes that will explain the type of personality you are. So you're not just going to switch and change your personality based on who you're talking to necessarily. Mm-hmm. I know it's so- it gets very confusing, <laughs> but if you decide that you have to then jeopardize uh, your brand personality, then you would say this belongs in a separate brand. This is a, a not under the umbrella of this company. We have to create a, a sister company and give it a different tone of voice, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like what Mercedes did with s- the smart car. They just completely reinvented everything around that product and service to attract someone completely different. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because uh, I feel, yep. I was mm-hmm. going to say what happens though is um, if you're a diehard Mercedes fan and then they come up with a, a different uh, brand personality, what can happen is the diehards will feel offended. And I believe Jeep did that. They came out with a minivan and then they publicly apologize. If I have my story correct, that, you know, we're sorry. We weren't, we, we were wrong. We shouldn't have done that. Basically, every <laughs> Jeep owner was personally offended that Jeep is now sporting a minivan. It didn't align with how people defined who they were uh, by by driving a Jeep. Like your the car you choose to drive is a huge outward reflection of the type of person you are, and um, and people took it to heart when they when Jeep started offering minivans. So. I think it's, I mean, for me, I know that customer personas, creating them can be really difficult. Um, I know that you gave some really great ways of doing it. So uh, defining, you know, 
them against maybe a friend or a celebrity and seeing how they like how they react and how they interact and how they are. Um, but what would you say, like, if I'm creating my customer persona, like, what are the, cause I know you already listed some things, but like, what should I be including into that? Um, we Other go than back, the basics. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've got the basics. Um, but I think the biggest thing that you want to include is their emotional drivers. So what are their challenges in life? What are their fears? Um, what are they most worried about? And how can my product or service solve their problems? So what what are their problems and what are what are we solving and how do we want them to make how do we want them to feel when interacting with our brand? Um, if you can narrow it down past the clothes they wear and the music they listen to, um, and you narrow it right down to their emotional drivers and what's going to um, make them feel whatever it is that they've come to you to feel. That's, I think, the most important aspect of of choosing your audience. I think once you understand what's driving them on an emotional level, then you can decide what our brand essence is. And, you know, when you think of that's another attribute like vision, mission, purpose, and essence. If you know what your brand essence is and you know that we're trying to make them feel this certain way. Um, then that's where it starts. So what is brand essence? Brand essence would get further along. So after you decide who your audience <laughs> is, I know I'm really... It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Um, when you're looking at your brand attributes, um, brand essence is an important one word that you can attach your brand to that will make a customer or even staff feel something. So for example, Disney's brand essence word is magical. So they know that they're in business to make people feel magical moments. They carry mm -hmm. it right through to their staff. They carry it through to, you know, their cruises or their resorts, and they're just in business to create magic. So it's a really hard task to figure out what your brand is trying to make people feel. But it's it's hugely aligned with your audience because they're feeling the opposite right now. And you're saying, come here and we'll make you feel this. If that makes sense. <laughs> that definitely makes sense. Love I know it. I know with authenticity, our brand essence word is confidence. So even though they come to us for, you know, brand strategy or they come to us for logo design or or website design, or some sort of um, tangible thing, whatever they're coming to Anticity for, we know they're coming to us for confidence. We want them to feel confident in their market. That's a great example. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So, so much to unpack here. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I wanted to go because I know we chatted like a little bit before this episode and we were talking about the three types of buyers. Right. Yeah. And I think that it was super interesting and I wanted to get into that a little bit now. And can you explain to me and whoever's listening, what do you mean when you say that there are three types of buyers? So when you're faced with a decision to purchase something, you're going to, depending on 
it doesn't matter what type of like you know your personality it doesn't matter you know where you live or your job or anything like that it's just uh in our dna we're going to gravitate towards uh one of three ways to solidify your purchasing decision so you're either going to be a visual buyer an audio buyer or a kinesthetic buyer so you're going to have to see something so maybe you really gravitate towards that package design or that brand identity. And just based on how it looks, that's the one you want. You know in your heart, that's what I'm going to gravitate towards. Um, If you're a kinesthetic person, then you want to hold it. You want to touch it. You want to, you're going to base your decision on how it feels in your hands. And if you're an audio person, you're probably going to ask the person that works there. You know, I'm always, I'm picturing going into a store. Um, you're going to ask the person, you're going to say, excuse me, can you tell me about these products? Um, so we've had, you know, experience with all three of those situations, but you're going to gravitate towards one or the other. So I know, even though I'm a graphic designer by trade and I'm working in the visual industry, I know that I'm a kinesthetic buyer. So Mm -hmm. I can't buy online very easily. Um, I feel like I need to touch and hold and uh, feel it in my hands. So I always gravitate to going to the store. Even though I could buy it on Amazon easier, I prefer to go into the store and, and sample it or touch it and feel it. So when you're branding, you're supposed to be having that emotional connection with the, uh, an audience. And sure, you're trying to attract a certain kind of audience, but inside that audience, you are going to have those three types of buyers. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you're going online only, then you know that you're missing. And they say, you know, it's to cut in three, it's pretty equal. It's not like there's 80% visuals and then 10 and 10. So we really say like three, you know, there's thirds, 33, 33, 33, basically. So if you are an online store, then you are catering to people that don't need to touch and hold. But if you are an online store, how can you help uh, the kinesthetic buyer? So, you know, maybe your photography has that zoom so they can zoom in and and look at the texture. Um, if they can see how that looks zoomed in, they can probably imagine how it would feel. And if they're the audio person, is there a video of someone talking about the product and what they love about it as if they were there? Someone would say, oh, you know, what do you think about this one? So they could, you could have a video attached to it and say, what we love about this one is this and this. And they could point out all the little, uh, you know, unique traits of that product and why they love it so that the person that needs to rely on audio can you can help facilitate their decision. So uh, what happens is in business, we put out who we are. So for example, I'm kinesthetic. So I would be more tempted to give the one-on-one in-person meetings. So COVID has completely, (laughs) completely messed up all these kinesthetic people. (laughs) we have to buy online. We have to do Zoom calls. It's not the same. I want to hug my clients after talking to them. And I think that's like 
gone now. I don't know if I'll ever be able to hug a client. Um, but we yeah, can like, hope. we can hope. Um, <laughs> I know it's like sending virtual hugs. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really hard for kinesthetic people who rely on on that sense of touch and and uh, feeling. So, but you know, as a if you're branding and you want to make people feel something, well, some people are going to feel that way by seeing the design, and others won't even feel anything when they see that beautifully designed box. It doesn't matter to them. Um, I think it also really helps customer service side of things. Because um, if you think about it, if you're running a business and you're pushing people to your website to learn more about you, and then you give them the information on a certain page, and then people call up and they ask you the questions that you've already put on the website, and you think to yourself, can't they read? You know, that thought process of can't they just read? Like, why do I always get these people calling? The problem is, is they can read, but they're not reading and absorbing and they need to talk to you. So having that accessibility to have someone to talk to, even though we live in a digital world and yes, the information's there, thinking about, well, I'm trying to make people feel this. And the only way they're going to feel that is if they're talking to somebody. It helps from a operation standpoint and a customer service standpoint of making sure that you are catering to all three types of buyers and having a little bit more empathy and forgiveness for the people that are opposite to you because you don't understand why didn't they just, they saw the video, what what don't they understand? Or they read this, why can't they understand that? You know, like I think people are very, um, narrow-minded to what the type of buyer they are and don't realize that there are two other types of buyers at all times. So just because that's how you absorb and decide that's not how the some of your audience can can absorb and decide to buy. So when you're creating your customer persona, you also have to realize that this customer persona, you'll need to be able to create um, content or information. They'll have the three types of buyers within that. Yeah. So like, for example, you have this 22-year-old female audience who you think are digital savvy. They've been online the majority of their life. They understand how to navigate a website. So you put out a website, you put out uh, a contact form or FAQs, and you put all of your efforts online. There's still going to be that 22-year-old female who needs to call somebody and talk. And even though we are pigeonholing the whole generation of people that don't know how to talk, and, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not true. There are a lot of uh, 22-year-old people that still do need to talk it out. And um, it's knowing that people will need a video. Um, so let's say your audience is confused and you are helping them clarify something. So you know that this is my audience, this is their challenge, they're feeling this, we need to then take them and make them feel this way and in hopes to earn trust. So you would create a video, you would create a website, have it really nicely designed to attract to them. Then you would have a video to explain. Then you would have um, read more, click here to read more, and you would give them 
everything you need and you'd have a chat button or a call this number to discuss or set up an appointment through a calendar or somehow allow the person that needs to talk to you a way to talk to you um, and allow the person that needs to read. So some people will land on a website and just turn that video off and read, you know, um, thinking about news. Uh, I had graphic designers here and I've had instances where some graphic designers hate the video and they just Mm -hmm. want to read and other graphic designers love the video and they never read anything. And it doesn't matter your, you know, your age, your profession, your, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's who you are. I I guess it's just DNA. You're born that way. Yeah. But yeah, I do have to cater to all three. Yeah. I think it's also, I love the point. I love that you pointed out that it's not about you, like the the entrepreneur, like I like it this way. I like it that way. That doesn't mm-hmm. matter the way you like it. Um, yeah. A lot of people, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that are starting businesses need to realize that it's not about you. It's not about what you like. I mean, that does help, obviously. Like you'll obviously share the same values um, or mission, like missions as your brand. But at the end of the day, it's about the customer. It's about that customer avatar that you created and their pains and their and their wants and their needs and how your product or your service can be able to help them solve their their problem. Exactly. And help them define who they are. So I bought, I bought this because, and it helps support the way that they want to reflect who they are. So whether they purchased an eco-friendly product, that will speak volumes of the type of person they are. Uh, so you're really defining, you're helping them define who they are, who they want to be, and um, you're giving them that emotional connection, and and the ability to express and because of the day and age we live in that self-expression is so uh needed that you know you have a responsibility to help people do that if you want to succeed in in a branding strategy as a graphic designer going back years I've had clients come to me and say, I need a logo. I own a green truck. I want my brand identity to be green because I don't want to go buy a new truck. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't matter. Uh, it didn't even matter if anyone liked that color green. And it didn't matter if their competition had green. Um, to them, it wasn't worth wrapping that vehicle in a new color or getting a different painted color or whatever because it's already there and it doesn't matter. And I've had clients, I don't want a website. That's a trend. Uh, Just put my phone number really big on my business card. And if they want to call, they'll call. And those statements resonate in my brain for years. I'm like, wow, I, I didn't know why it bothered me at the time hearing it, but I was a kinesthetic person. So the last thing I'm going to do is call you. I want to see and go on your website and see pictures. And I want to um, come into your store. Like I have other ways that I would buy. I would, the last kind of thing I would do is pick up the phone and call and ask you questions. So as a graphic designer who's working with business owners for the first half of our career, um, I really, really did recognize that people 
set their own business up the way that they interpret the world and the way that they uh, would make purchasing decisions. And if that's only one third of your potential audience, and imagine how you could increase your sales uh, just by having more empathy towards your potential audience and how they make decisions and being proactive and having that solution to their problem already ready available and and just caring enough to help them it changes your way of thinking from that commodity push push the product push the service and you know win them over with price it it turns you into a company that actually cares and wants to help the customers get the best solution to their problem. And it just switches everything when you remove those business decisions away from what you like. And it you put it on that audience and you put on that avatar and you ask yourself, what would that person do? It removes you from um, making emotional decisions and it allows you to really focus on brand strategy, which once you realize the power of brand strategy, it's almost um, it can almost feel manipulative, it, <laughs> right? Like it, it's a fine line between tricking people into feeling something for you and then actually you have to do it in the right mindset. You're not trying to trick people. You're not trying to make a lot of money. I mean, that's the, that's the side effect of just trying to really help people. It takes customer service to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, I think it's super important also to really highlight that although there are many very important pieces to brand strategy, understanding your customer avatar really does affect a lot of the pieces, right? In terms Mm -hmm. of like what colors you're going to choose, what kind of personality, how you're going to be talking to them, where you're going to be doing your marketing. A lot of that is, is very largely dependent on your customer and your customer avatar and taking the time to actually create that and understand and kind of like, I guess, get into the mind of them, right? Kind Mm -hmm. of be them, be one with them. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, you're going to be faced with so many other questions, like what is your vision and what is your, um, what's your, you know, brand personality or what is your essence word? And if you keep looking internal, then you might not be setting your your brand up for the right audience and to attract the right people. So uh, it it gets you off the hook and it allows you to, okay, what would this person do? And what would this person want? And you can get that outside look because a lot of time you're too close to your own business and you don't see it the way your customers do. Yet when you're branding, you're winning over the hearts and minds of your customers by giving them intentional brand experiences, but how can you give them an intentional experience if you're so internal? You're just too close to it. Um, So having that allows you to put your feet in your customer's shoes a lot easier. It allows you to see uh, your brand from their perspective. And, And then from there, you can really start to control and with intention, the reputation you want by making them feel something. But yeah, it's about removing yourself from the equation. And, you know, like I said, from startups, quite often that persona 
is a reflection of who they are, but yeah. at least they're at least they're aware of it. At least they're going through the process and they're aware of um, giving that persona a name. And so then as they evolve, so let's say you're 25 when you start your business, but then now it's a 10 years later. You then, you know, people evolve branch to two. That's my motto. You, you have to look back at that brand avatar that you wrote and you have all the notes for and, and ask yourself, is this still our audience? And quite often it is. You're still alive and well attracting that 25-year-old person, but now you're 35. And so you're seeing things differently, but you would have to either evolve or stay true to the brand, depending on how much, you know, brand equity you've, you've created. Um, it helps protect and divide. It helps protect your brand from yourself so that you're not making personal decisions the whole time you're building your business. Because if you got to the scale that you wanted to, and you have staff and you have a team of people, you, you want to be able to hand them a, a playbook and say, this is our avatar. This is who we are. This is, you know, and they can take it and run with it. But if it is um, a reflection of who you are, then it's harder for you to articulate your audience for everyone else that's going to help your, your business grow. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I just like, I'm just nodding my head here. I'm like, yes, yes. That's so amazing. I love it because I mean, I'm also in the process of creating, or I have created my, my persona and I've always had to also kind of be wary of the fact of putting myself into it or like my, my, my wants, my needs. I have to like kind of remove myself from the process. And this idea that you said that like, you you know now you if you put yourself into your persona you can't just change your mind in 10 years be like well i'm 35 now and i don't i'm i don't like the same things that i did when i was 25 you can't just change the whole like the mm-hmm. brand you know you can't just and i think evolution yeah exactly and i think evolution is um is normal. So you might say a, a brand extension or we're going to um introduce a new line uh, geared to the uh, different person. So maybe now you're post children bearing and your body has shifted and changed and you've been through it yourself and you realize that the cuts I had at 25 don't flatter the 35 or 40 year old. Um, and so you're, you feel there's a new need, but that's great and normal. And I would encourage that. But as long as you're not going to shift your whole um, brand position of the sustainable fabrics. Don't be like, oh, well, people in this demographic don't care about this. So I'm just going to uh, sacrifice my whole brand position for this new group. So I think that's where it becomes shady. Like like the Jeep, oh, you know, introducing the minivan was the wrong move. Uh, but someone there thought, well, people evolve and that person that loves a Jeep, they um, they evolve, they have children, they have bigger families. Let's give them a a minivan. It it made somewhat sense, but it didn't emotionally support that adventure mindset, you know, like it. Yeah, definitely. Cause I could not see like a minivan Jeep. 
I, yeah. I don't picture it. <laughs> I'm just like, no, that's not the point of the Jeep is not to be a minivan. The point of it is like adventure. You know, you want to go out and, you know, take your camping tent or whatever and just go for five hours into the woods and yeah, off the beaten I, path. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't see it as like, let me put in my two children in the back and let's go to uh, daycare. <laughs> Wouldn't picture yeah. Jeep in that way. <laughs> Exactly. And well, also like swimwear, I mean, it's really easy. I've seen brands introduce uh, the cover-ups and then they introduce the hats and then they introduce the glasses and then, well, we might as well bring in sandals. And well, after the day at the beach, they're going to wear pants. So we should give them some pants and some shirts. And then now all of a sudden you're not a swimwear company at all. You're in, and it, it happens so fast and you're so close to it that you know, you look back and go, what have we done? And it's uh, like, I'm in Canada. So we have a company called Tim Hortons and they're- I huge love s- Tim Hortons. Yeah. They're a huge <laughs> success here. They just announced we're going back to basics. We're going back to coffee and donuts because like right now you can get a chicken burger and French fries from Tim Hortons and it's really. So- yeah, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> personal <laughs> opinion. It's, they don't have deep fryers. They don't have um, like they have warming ovens. So it's not that they're cooking the food fresh. So it's just it's uh, they got caught up in the competing, and uh, I I've seen them go head to head with you know I feel like McDonald's and Tim Hortons are just outstepping each other. And what's happening is. Um, they're they're losing touch of their brand. So this year they announced we're going back to basics. We're doing breakfast and coffee, and I haven't seen it happen yet. But when I heard that, I'm like, that is exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, they've realized that they are trying to be everything to everyone. They've lost their niche, their niche or their niche, however you want to say that word. Yeah. They've lost it, and they've become confused internally and probably externally. And imagine working for that company too. It'd be frustrating uh, to go to a board meeting and, you know, some, someone say, we're now going to start offering lasagna. It would just be like, what? I'm so confused. Why is Tim Hortons offering lasagna? Why are we offering roast beef sandwiches? Like it's just, well, the sandwich isn't that far of a stretch, but I think they were <laughs> headed towards lasagna yeah. and I, I was just waiting like, what's next? And it was almost exciting to watch. What are they going to do next? But to put it back yeah. to basics is um, was exciting. I mean, as a Canadian who hasn't mm-hmm. been in Canada for the last two or three years, I mean, for me, when I think Tim Hortons, I think coffee and I think donuts and Timbits. Mm. And I like, that's what I identify it. I identify like mornings, I went to get a cup of coffee and a donut and it just was that experience that I loved. And I mean, hearing you saying that they had French fries or like that, I, that's such a disconnect for me. And I would never go to Tim Hortons for French fries. Right. I mean, it's just not something that I remember. And I think that, I mean, what you said to me resonates so much because as someone who's doing swimwear and I follow a lot of accounts, what I keep on seeing is like everyone's doing swimwear and swimwear and then, and then lingerie swimwear and then blah, blah, blah. 
And it's not something that goes into the whole idea of like fine swimwear and maybe you'll do some cover-ups. I think it's still in the same realm of possibility because it's still like beachwear. But then mm-hmm. they're going into completely different directions. Mm-hmm. They're doing lingerie. They're doing underwear. They're doing, you know, um, loungewear, uh, pajamas. And it's just, I feel like it's and- just strange to me. <laughs> I I know and and you watch it knowing brand strategy and you watch it and you're like oh man I can see where that's headed and I think they don't have that avatar they don't know the pain point so um meet Sally Sally wants to go and enjoy the day at the beach but she's self-conscious and when she's at the beach she doesn't feel sexy but she wants to feel sexy and so here's a product that will flatter every body type, or um, we're going to create body positivity messaging and help everybody feel sexy. It doesn't matter what they look like. And so this is our brand mission is to make people enjoy being half naked in front of other people on a beach. Uh, (laughs) So here's a cover up because that would help them get past that mental block they have. But, uh, here's a pair of slacks or here's some laundry doesn't support their problem and their mindset when going to the beach. And it would have, if they had that brand avatar with that problem and that solution and that mission, if they had that in place first, if they defined before they designed their business model and just see design is more than just the look, right? They're designing their brand experience. They're designing their, their everything. If they defined before design, then they would have known that they shouldn't have gone down that pathway because that's not supporting Sally. Um, And where do you stop? It's just reactive. And someone along the way got on social media and said, I, I actually wear those, that bikini under my clothes some days just to feel sexy because it's like better than most lingerie I've ever bought. And someone made a comment like that. And it made the owner go, wow, yeah, okay. So they want us to do laundry. We should do that. It would be no, all we had to do is add a little lace or something, right? So technically it was easy, but brand strategy wise, it was far from intuitive and it's confusing and it's diluting that brand message and that brand essence word that you're trying to make people feel you know, confidence on the beach or you're trying to, you know, if they want to make people feel sexy, then that shifts their entire messaging. They're going to make them feel that way in every aspect of their life. That's a different brand completely. That just happens to sell swimwear. Mm -hmm. It's confusing, but it's so common. And I think if listeners are reflecting and feeling bad about themselves or feeling bad about their business, I think don't worry about it. A lot of people have it wrong and and it's not embarrassing. It's, it's a reaction to the last decade and it's, um, it's fixable and you can rebrand and you can reposition yourself and you can reattach, uh, your company. And, and we live in a world where we can talk about that change on social media and on our websites and we can be really proud of it and use the rebrand as content 
on social media and, and on our website and in staff. And you can train your staff. You know, when someone comes in, let them know that we rebranded, let them know we changed our way of thinking, let them know our position and what we believe in and hand them this. And you can uh, leverage a rebrand. It's not um, a scary thing anymore because you have so many opportunities to back it up and explain why you did what you did. And um, rebranding is really exciting because you can reset and and yeah. just like Tim Hortons is saying, we're going back to basics. I mean, how yeah. how I mean Burger King Burger Burger King just did that. They and did they a whole back. rebrand. Yeah, they went back to how they looked twenty years ago. Yeah, and to see, do that more authentic authenticity back to the basics as well. Like, yeah, so. And I, I think if you were to talk to the the people that were around the board table and, you know, we only see the visual and all the articles got released about the visual, their, their new logo, their new logo, uh, their new logo is their old logo. But what gets missed and what drives me nuts with this industry is that there's still so much rebranding connected to the look, but how much conversation was yeah. out there around how they got to that point. And maybe they're refocusing on the family. Maybe they're bringing it back to that nostalgia of um, joining family around the table, the, the moments that we've lost. Or I don't know what went through their heads, but somehow they got there. But I know with that visual change, they have changed their internal conversation and they've changed their messaging and they've changed their the way that they look at their customers and the problems they're solving that that conversation all happened way before they decided on their logo but i just think people gravitate to the new look and say oh look they rebranded but they re everything in yeah. behind the scenes definitely i mean we can definitely go on and on and on about this. <laughs> I know. I think it's, I, I mean, like, it's so interesting to me, but I think I'm just going to kind of pull this end of this question together by stating for anyone listening out there, like, if you're confused on what you're doing, you're going to have people confused of what you're doing. So mm -hmm. you have to be super clear. And I mean... Like, I think what you said was super interesting. Like, don't be afraid. If you get it wrong, you can rebrand. It's not the end of the world. But just be very clear on like every aspect of brand strategy and take the work, to, like put in the work to be to do it because it's going to pay off in the future. Absolutely. But the last question that I actually do want to ask, I think we've talked about it, but we're going to highlight it here mm -hmm. in, at the end here. So what is the number one fatal mistake that entrepreneurs and small businesses make when they're creating their brand or doing their branding? Yeah, I, I think we did talk about it. I think it's the uh, basing their decisions around what they would do. And yeah. And and projecting what they would want, um, without writing down their persona. You can you can uh, create that brand audience and that avatar and base it off of you, but um, really taking the time to define it and write it down so that as you grow, it doesn't just magically change. grow and change with you. Uh, yeah. So and then 
and then again, just uh, I feel bad when companies start out not knowing the difference between uh, being perceived as a brand versus a commodity and seeing them compete in, as a commodity, it breaks my heart a little bit. <laughs> I think that I think that there was so many nuggets of wisdom here. And I'm not going to overview, I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I like the last <laughs> one, which was also write it down, write everything down, have a brand manifesto, a brand book or something like that so that you know, and that you can share with your employees as well, right? Because we're talking about how important it is for your employees to understand the values, the missions, and to be able to encompass your brand and become part of that process. And so writing it down, I mean, that's the best way of doing it. Absolutely. I think if you do uh, treat your startup as a company you're going to sell right from the get-go, even though you're you're not there yet in your head, but if you think one day this company, I'll make more money for this company if I've written all this down and I can hand it to somebody, then um, it helps remove you from it. and everything in your brain, it helps get it uh, to that point where you're setting up a business. You're not just setting up a, a job for yourself. And on that note, we're going <laughs> to add. <laughs> I have a and tendency I'll... to talk too much. <laughs> no, it's all good. I loved it. I think there was some really great, uh, great tidbits, a lot of great information. I mean, talking about brand versus commodity, talking about the customer personas, talking about the three buyers in mind, and then even talking about how you should be focusing on one thing and not trying to do everything, you know, and, and kind of losing focus um, was also really great. I mean, if someone wants to talk to you, if someone wants to find out or take your course or have a chat with you, where can they find you? Well, the the main company I'm in is Anticity. It's the second half of the word authenticity. Um, so I can be found at anticity.com. And, uh, you know, social media is Anticity Brands. And um, that's where most people can find me. And then from there, you will uh, find a button and you'll find your way to the Define Before Design course if that is what's interesting you. Um, yeah. And, you know, my future is the Define Before Design podcast. So if we can get that up and going, I hope people will tune in to that as well and and talk more about branding. I mean, yeah, because branding is important to everyone who is mm-hmm. listening. And as you, can tell, as you can tell, there's so much to be said. So but don't hard. get overwhelmed, people don't who are listening. <laughs> it's, it's totally doable. You it got is. this. Yeah. Small steps. Perfect. Exactly. Perfect. Thank you so much. I had a great Thank conversation. You. Oh, me too. And Thank you so much. Until next time. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Branding Lab podcast with your host, Yvonne Ivanescu. If you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, or leave us a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you next time.